I'm Chris Chang and Phillips, and this is Let's Find Out. It's a podcast about becoming a historian, learning about history, based in Edmonton, Alberta, or a Miskwichiwiskaigan on Treaty 6 territory. And Let's Find Out is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. And I am pleased to, this month uh, that I am joined not only by the lovely Trevor Chowfraser. Hi. And the lovely Ellen. And the lovely Elliot Fox Chowfraser Cosman. Uh, a, a human who needs no introduction because she introduced herself. Um, so, so, Elliot, we were going to start off with um, a really, like, uh, a revelation for our audience, I think. Okay. Elliot is finally ready to reveal her favorite color. Pink and turquoise and rainbow. Please explain how these became your favorite colors. Well, I guess I when I was first born, I just liked them. Um, okay, I have also an important question for you. What's your favorite song from Encanto? Uh, we don't talk about Bruno. I knew it. <laughs> It's because a lot of people know that. Yeah. Because it's like, we don't talk about Bruno. No, 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 no. I like the one where her sister, Isabella, is like she accidentally makes a cactus. Um, if you haven't seen this movie, it's about a family in Colombia with a lot of magic, but the main sister, Mirabelle, she doesn't have like a magical gift like the rest of the family. Um, and there's like a lot of pressure on everybody to like use their gifts and whatnot. And, um, you know, at one point, Isabella, uh, she is like so furious. She's mad at Mirabelle and she yells at her and she accidentally makes a cactus. And usually her power is making like super beautiful flowers. So I just, I really like the song where she's like, what else can I do? You know, Trevor, what's what's your favorite song from Encanto? Um, my favorite song. So I, w- when I started watching the movie, I wasn't really vibing with it. But then, uh, once the the first song with the big strong sister mm-hmm. about pressure. Pressure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When I saw that, what, what they were doing with that song, I was like, oh, I get this movie. I get it now. That's such a good song. I'm the strong one. I'm not nervous. I'm as tough as the crust of the earth is. As the eldest child, I, I get the pressure thing. Oh, you you yeah. you can empathize with yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, totally. Having to bear the weight of the, the world. Entire world. <laughs> Over the entire podcast. No, I mean the world. <laughs> I mean the family. I mean the truth comes out. <laughs> I did see your sister the other day as I was biking by her place, and she looked very relaxed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's probably wasted. <laughs> okay. Uh, she's very talented. She's very talented. I have to get by on no talent. <laughs> okay, so um, that's convenient that you've talked about, you know, how you've you've had to put up with a lot of pressure, Trevor, because I'm feeling a lot of pressure to deliver on school and feeling not very capable of doing it this month. So maybe we can, maybe you can give me some tips on on how you push through it. Right, okay. So is school like an overbearing parent who's always on your back about the things that you haven't accomplished? Is that is that what we're dealing with? Just so I can, you know, mm. make sure this is comparable. 
Grad school is more like a uh, distant parent with extremely high expectations. <laughs> okay. That's more like my grandma. Uh, okay. <laughs> Trevor, how many more kids are you going to have? <laughs> are you still in Edmonton? <laughs> when are you coming back? <laughs> Let's Find Out is brought to you in part by BGC Biggs. Did you know you have a superpower? No, I don't mean flying or reading minds, although personally my pick would be invisibility. You have the incredible ability to help young people see their own superpowers. Boys and Girls Clubs and Big Brothers Big Sisters of Edmonton and Area, also called BGC Biggs, need you now. Consider sharing your time with a young person. Over the past year, BGC Biggs heard from young people that having a mentor means they're less likely to have anxiety, feel isolated, or struggle with their mental health. But there are over 600 young people waiting for a mentor today. Explore how you can get involved and change our community one life at a time. There's currently a need for mentors in the Big Brothers, Big Sisters, or Big Siblings program, in school, for the Youth in Care program, and for the new PRISM program supporting queer young people. There's also a need for virtual tutors who can support young people transitioning back to school or dealing with learning loss over the past two years. Think about how much change you've dealt with over the past two years, everything you've been through. Wouldn't it be nice to hold somebody's hand navigating through all that? Join BGC Biggs for a virtual coffee or apply now at bgcbigs.ca or Google BGC Biggs Edmonton. Your priority, their future. Let's Find Out is also brought to you this month by the Edmonton Public School Board, holding virtual open houses. Get ready to take the guesswork out of choosing a school. Go to an Edmonton Public Schools virtual open house. Ask your questions to learn about their schools and programs and find the one that feels right. All from the comfort of home. Find virtual event dates and learn how to make the most out of your online visit at openhouse.epsb.ca. Know before you go and feel confident and excited when you get there. Okay, so uh, last time we talked, the University of Alberta, well, I mean, all your classes were at the University of Alberta, but online. Yeah. And the libraries were closed, and you could make a hold online and go pick it up, but you couldn't browse or go inside or smell the book in your hands and the (laughs) antiseptic air of the library under the flashing fluorescent lights. Behind a mask. All that stuff you love. Yeah. (laughs) So what's happening now? Yeah, now. Um, so the day that this comes out, uh, which will be February 28th, that sweet, musty smell will will be available again. Libraries will be back open. Um, classes will be in person again. Um, but the uh, respiratory ambiance will be a little different from last semester. Uh, they're taking off, the university is taking off the uh, vaccination directive, um, which you had to have last semester to study on campus is that different from the vaccination directive that it took to go into a bar or the mall or whatever uh yeah there was no there's no qr code that we had to like swipe in to go into a building there was like a one time you had to log on to a system upload your record of having two doses and then it seemed like they were like spot checking to see whether they were accurate, oh, okay. not actually checking all 50, 60,000 or whatever there were of them. <laughs> like taking the subway. 
Or the LRT. Like taking the LRT. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You walk through and occasionally an inspector walks up and down and is like, hey, do you actually have your ticket? Mm. Yeah. So that's gone now. Okay. Masks are still around. Um, for now, who knows? The province is determined to <laughs> open everything up on Tuesday. Um, yeah. Kind of the world situation also um, a little different also. Um, so I, I don't know. I... I can give you a little bit of my, my experience of some of all this. And I, I also just want to give listeners maybe a little peek into the frustrations of hitting roadblocks in a research process. And um, yeah, I just, just that this is, this is part of it, I guess is, is hitting roadblocks and um, yeah, the barriers to doing my research right now just seem both comic and cosmic. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Very big and uh, very, very humorous. Yeah. 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 It seems like nature kind of doesn't want me to research some aspects of this topic. Um, what are they trying to hide, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> Something about trilobites, I guess. Um, so my thesis topic is about Yoho National Park, right? About pa- paleontology and power there. Yeah. Um, so how did paleontology like interact with all these other groups in Yoho National Park um, to get a little bit of say in who gets to go where? So... Um, Tunaha stuff was one thing I wanted to start with. The Tunaha are a first nation with a modern day presence on the west side of the Rockies, um, around the Columbia River Basin, Cranbrook, Radium, Windermere, the Kootenays, and BC. Um, Yoho is within their traditional territory and their BC treaty area. And one of the gaps that I noticed when I was starting to read about this topic is that in the history of the Yoho, as it's usually told, Tunaha history is at most kind of a, a prelude in the history of the park and the Burgess Shale fossils not yeah. an active thing like in most white written history books yeah yeah it's uh, the first page and then and then it just goes on exactly yeah um th- this phase uh, this phrase prehistory is used mm. um daniel quinn has this great quote about history and prehistory that i was thinking of today um slight tangent but this quote just uh, yeah i like it a lot um so he says um when the foundation thinkers of our culture looked back in time past the appearance of man the agriculturalist they saw nothing this is what they expected to see since as they had worked it out people could no more exist before agriculture than fish could exist before water to them the study of pre-agricultural men would would seem like the study of nobody when the existence of pre-agricultural man became undeniable in the 19th century, the thinkers of our culture didn't care to disturb the received wisdom of the ancients, so the study of pre-agricultural man became the study of nobody. They knew they couldn't get away with saying that pre-agricultural peoples lived in non-history, so they said they lived in something called prehistory. And I'm sure you understand what prehistory is. It's rather like pre-water. And you all know <laughs> what that is, don't you? Pre-water is the stuff that fish lived in before there was water. And prehistory is the period people lived in before there was history. Ah, that's really funny. <laughs> yeah, uh, it it makes me wonder about all these conspiracy theories. Speaking of conspiracy theories, <laughs> about like ancient aliens dropping humans off on the planet or seeding the planet with humans six thousand years ago. Keisha Supernat, who was on our podcast, she's an archaeologist based at the U of A. She she is very like very clear about to her ancient aliens is racism (laughs) the idea that like anybody who's not like a modern day european civilization can't have built anything interesting um to her is just like yep 
straight up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, Anyway, so I'm trying to do better than that. I'm being mindful of what happened in Jasper, too, um, where, you know, when the National Park was built, Métis people were almost instantly kicked out of the park, but people came back right away as outfitters and whatnot. Um, So I've been looking for ways to connect with Tanaha folks and start a research relationship. So first off, I tried taking a Tanaha class, um, which is actually taught online through College of the Rockies, um, which is wild. Like how many indigenous languages are taught online, right? Um, Incredible. Uh, So I spent forever registering as a student. I I was slow. The process was slow online. By the time I registered last semester, um, the winter edition of the class was already full. Oh, Um, bummer. Yeah, bummer. So I got on the wait list and then the wait list opened up and then I got a spot and then they kicked me out because I didn't pay quickly enough. (laughs) And then I got back in and then three days before the class was supposed to start, um, they canceled the class. What? (laughs) For, for, for lack of enrollment or what? It can't have been because it was so full. They said it was instructor unavailability and did not explain further than that. Oh no. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 the instructor, it seems like she does like a billion different things in Cranbrook. So, um, yeah, a bummer. But yeah. I figured, okay, I'll try a different route. So I tried for a couple months to get a hold of someone at the Tunaha Nation Council Archives in Cranbrook. And I did actually reach someone in January. Um, she seemed potentially interested in at least meeting me and talking about like shared research goals, what's in the archives. Um I applied for a travel grant from the U of A, the Diane Sampson Award. I got it to go and meet her in Cranbrook and also to go to Banff to poke around in the archives of the White Museum of the Canadian Rockies there. More on that in a bit. Um, But I didn't hear back from this archivist for like a month after that. And I figured, okay, I'll just go during my reading week, just go to Cranbrook, drive through. It's a nice drive through the Rockies, the Banff Winter (laughs) Highway anyway, knock on some doors, make some friends, you know, get things started. Trevor, how was the weather last weekend for you? Yeah, I mean, uh, up on up on the mountain in Jasper, it was uh, tons of fresh powder. It was it was great. <laughs> did you actually go to Jasper? I did. Yeah. Oh, cool. With Elliot. Okay. Yeah. Um, it was a bit of uh, and the, the, the snowboarding was great. Mm-hmm. Elliot uh, fell off the chairlift and broke a ski and her face mask. Oh no, <laughs> <laughs> she's okay. <laughs> Clearly. So it was a little bit traumatic, but uh, but the snow was great. Oh my god! I didn't. I mean, she landed in this pillow of of powder, (laughs) fresh snow. So (laughs) how high up was the chairlift? Oh, she probably fell like two meters. Whoa! Dang. She jumped. I should say. (laughs) She (laughs) she didn't get off the chairlift, so it started to swing around, and she stayed on it, and then she decided to jump. And she went like, like, like spread eagle into the snow. <laughs> uh, Poor thing. Did she take it in stride? It was devastating to her morale. Oh. Yeah. Dang. Um, but we made it down the hill. We got into the chalet. We got hot chocolate. We watched Octonauts on the phone. Mm. And after about half an hour of crying, she was ready to go back out. <laughs> Great. <laughs> That's resilience. That's what you need to know about grad school. <laughs> we'll come back to that. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. Um, so 
the the fresh powder experience that I had just bounced me right off the Rockies. <laughs> we got down to Rocky Mountain House. We stayed the night there on our way through. And then in the morning, the forecast said, like, roads were bad on the Banff Windermere Highway. Oh, yeah. Um, Avalanche closed the road through to Yoho. And <laughs> I, a, a word I'd never seen before on the road to Cranbrook, it said there were snow squalls. Uh, oh, yeah. I've heard of those. <laughs> like that a, seemed, I associate that with the Maritimes, though. Yeah. Like storms off the ocean. Okay. Snow Maybe came. it was a storm off the ocean. Maybe it was that bad. Oh, my God. Maybe. <laughs> it said, like, probable, like, complete whiteout conditions with no warning. So, yeah. Finn was with me. We just turned around. Um, yeah. Which was, it was a bummer. This is where I feel, this is me, me feeling like nature is like, don't try. Um but I'm going to, I'm going to try again later. Um, probably cause I've still got to spend the grant money. Um, <laughs> <laughs> might try flying into Cranbrook or, or something instead. Um, so, um, yeah, th- this on top of just like hilarious difficulty researching my, my research paper question for one of my classes this is my first opportunity to chip away at part of my thesis question. Um, so I, I decided to focus on like, how did the Burgess Shale get UNESCO World Heritage Site designation around 1980? Um, it's it's within a park. Um, so I, I, I talked to and emailed like folks at Parks Canada, UNESCO, which manages the World Heritage Site Program, uh, the Royal Ontario Museum that has had active paleontology stuff going on there since the 70s. Um, paleontologists at the U of A, um, Mount Royal University, uh, uh, folks with BC Heritage, and and basically came up with one person <laughs> who remembers what happened after the designation, um, and then one application document that Canada made to UNESCO. And everyone else associated with it seems to be either no longer alive or have like burned all their files or something. Um, and library and archives, Canada has like not returned my emails for a month, it, even for the files associated with this. Um, so that also feels like cosmic. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, yeah, it's yeah. hilariously hard to, um, get some sourcing on. This. I have found some cool stuff and I'll, when I sort of shuffle it all together, I'll share yeah. that. Um, but yeah. It's it's hard to blame Library and Archives Canada because I I hear there's been some shenanigans going on in Ottawa. Uh, I, I mean that must be slowing things down for them. God, yeah. So the, the yeah. Also in the last month is this like freedom convoy nonsense, like right wing fanatics all over the country, like blocking parliament um trying to shut down borders because they're ready for the pandemic to be over because they're tired like welcome to the club (laughs) exactly yeah um yeah and then uh, like research ethics um process i'm going through for the first time to try to get permission to interview like this park ranger in yoho who remembers sort of the implementation of the world heritage site i've never gone through this process before like for journalism our, our process for like getting permission to interview somebody is usually, hey, do you want to be on our podcast? Here's where it comes out. Here's kind of what the audience is. Uh, when when are you free? Do you do you consent? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. Great. You into it? Great. Um, but the, oh my god, I've been working on these forms for like, like on and off for the last two weeks. Um, so hopefully 
I'll get permission to speak to some humans for this. <laughs> Otherwise, it's like an unanswerable research question. Um, well, what is the... I, I've never done research ethics because I've never gone to grad school. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard about how long the process is, but I don't know what's the what's the purpose of it compared to, yeah, the process we do in journalism. So part of the thinking is that if you're a university researcher, there's a power relationship that you have with potential interviewees um, that, like, people have a hard time saying no. You have a lot of influence over, like, how the information is used. For history, you have a lot of influence over how someone's, like, potentially the story of their people is portrayed. Um, So the process, my understanding is, like, to make sure that you are thinking through the power relationship there and making sure that people a are like actually informed about what they are agreeing to and are okay with it that you're aware of like potential risks to them um that you've like thought of ways to like lessen potential risks or or like sort of i don't know clean up if you make a mistake (laughs) um also kind of like forcing you to articulate why it is necessary to interview a human um like Mm. like the process i'm going through there's a there's a spectrum from like interviewing someone for a research project like mine to doing like genetic research um to like um doing like surgical research on animals and stuff um so yeah yeah. um uh, so my initial application was 19 pages long for this that you wrote out that i wrote out oh wow (laughs) yeah uh it's pretty yeah blew my mind (laughs) so i mean i mean that sounds important especially like i mean it sounds like if if it helps you walk through the power relationship then that's a valuable thing but is it like uh, are you getting kind of mentorship out of the process is that how it works my supervisor dr piper is uh, has helped me we like um sort of giving me some tips on my first draft of it. And um, we talked about like potential risks um, associated with it. Like I was like, I I honestly don't think there are many. And they were, they, they pretty much agreed with me that the, the biggest risk associated with participating in my research project for my interviewees is like, they're older, so they might get tired. So (laughs) we'll take some breaks. Okay. Like one of these guys, he's like, like a retired park warden. So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's it's uh, that that seems like the most realistic uh, risk, which I yeah I figured I could mitigate by just like, yeah. Hey, let's take a break. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds a bit like when I have to fill out work and safety forms, and it's like, I work at a desk. I could get a paper cut, and then the work and health and safety person's like, people die from paper cuts. That can go gangrene. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. okay. <laughs> How many trip slips and falls are you going through at your desk? <laughs> well, since I passed through puberty, I'm I'm a lot less clumsy. Yeah, doesn't ha- I don't fall that much. But... <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, it, it sounds like it sounds like it's a lot of work, and it. Maybe it's valuable, but it is sound, that's still an onerous, that's still onerous on you.
Um, other things, I got accepted into my department's um, history, classic, and religion conference to do a presentation on some of my research. Um, Congrats. Thank you. Um, it might not happen, though. <laughs> oh. uh, the, not even online. The conference is supposed to be online in March, but it might get canceled if the faculty at the university go on strike. What? <laughs> <laughs> There's a strike threat? Uh, yeah. So uh, faculty at the U of A, um, the in instructors, professors, they've been without a contract for the last two years. Um, That's a long time. It is a long time. Um, so I, I couldn't speak to like the detail of what they're asking for. It sounds like reasonable things like cost of living increases to wages because as, as we all know, cost of living like has actually gone up a lot. Uh, but uh, yeah, from what I understand, the administration is being like quite inflexible. Um, also, the, the NDP um, provincially ch like changed the laws a few years ago to make it possible for the first time for post-secondary faculty to go on strike. And this year already, the faculty at Concordia and University of Lethbridge have gone on strike over similar issues of um, yeah, fair treatment from administration and the provincial government has made it a much more difficult situation because they have cut hundreds of millions of dollars from our budgets. Like, um, yeah, so I don't know. I've trying to. I've been trying to get through this by like, you know, going out in this. I got went out in the solidarity march with um, faculty last week um, down to the ledge. Um, it was nice to like see a couple students. There were like I would estimate like 150, 200 of us out there. Went from um, quad at the U of A marched. Uh, North across the high level bridge to the ledge, um, walking across the high level bridge where we're all like downwind of all the cars zooming by splashing. Um, so my, um, my, my last remaining N95 that I was able to find in the city, um, just got like soaked in mud as we were going. Um, mm. but still it was nice to be out. Um, and my friend <laughs> Riley gave me a backup, like little blue mask. So that was nice. Um, you know, I went out on the, like, the solidarity protest the other night, um, with Ukraine. Because Ukraine just got invaded by Russia, so that's a nice kind of background to all this, too. This horrifying Putin <clears throat> invasion going on. It must be really hard to focus on, on work, schoolwork. Yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've realized this week, like, yeah, my schoolwork is definitely... Not at its peak, but I, I'm, uh, I don't know. I, I'm just trying to like make a decision from like day to day of like, how will I be able to like stand myself kind of, um, mm. and I, you know, if it, I felt, I felt like if I didn't go out to some of these things, like I, I would not be able to put up with myself. So that's kind of my criteria at the moment. That's good. I mean, you're, it's good that you're finding things that help you get through. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, like there were, there have been a couple of neat things, um, this last month too. Like, so I used some of the travel grant to go to Banff to the white museum. Um, uh, I crashed, uh, with my friend Tara, who I haven't seen for a, a long, long time. And, uh, I got to meet her boyfriend and, um, amidst like, you know, being there to do serious research at the white museum archives, like we got to hang out and like, he, he bought like way too much zucchini. So he made like zucchini loaf and zucchini fritters okay so i'm i'm in banff i'm sitting on a couch uh, here with uh jake what's your last name jake watson watson yeah okay and uh 
as part of this month's research process, um, we've been having zucchini loaf. So, Jake, would you like to tell us a little bit about the zucchini loaf? Yeah, it's just a recipe I found online. Uh, went for one that was a bit less sugar mm-hmm. as uh, the participant can bring the sweetness to the dish. You know, explore the flavors that come out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the thing I didn't bring into account this year is the moisture that had been soaked up by the zucchini harvest mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the Arboi- uh, obviously not an Alberta zucchini because it would have been a lot drier so I didn't take in the fact that, that that would have soaked up the moisture and we've ended up with quite a oh, yeah. quite a moist, moist uh, cake there in the end. I mean don't sell yourself short I saw you dribbling in the kitchen like rushing to like drain some of it off yeah, it was monsoonal, the uh, the drainage process. Uh, <laughs> it was tidal coming through. Uh, well, it's actually great. It is legitimately delicious. So, um, oh, yeah, great. part of doing research in Banff is having a great bowl of zucchini loaf. <laughs> <laughs> I got to flip through some files at the White Museum Um which is cool, up, up from the Trail Riders um, uh, of the Canadian Rockies. Um, so they're this organization that's been around since like the ni- 1920s. And my, the paleontologist who will be the main focus of my thesis, Charles Walcott, um, he and his wife, Mary Vox Walcott, they um, they were both at the very first one of these like or- gatherings that this organization had. And um, I'm kind of interested in what his interaction with was other, with other people there because um, it was in the Yoho Valley and there were Stony Nakoto people there, um, and there were Tanaha people at some of the later ones too. And like the, the one of their like formal events of these things was to have a powwow, and they had like Stony people doing um, paintings for Sundance lodges and stuff, or they had Stony people doing paintings for Sun lodges, um, which. I don't know, it's kind of at this interesting intersection like with Banff Indian days of like, hey, the federal government has made like all these legal restrictions on people being able to practice their traditional culture. But weirdly at these events, um, mm. there's like, is it the presence of settlers that is like making it okay for mm. this? I'm, I'm very curious about it. So I got to go through some of those files, which was cool. Um, and also... That's cool. It seems like that was... Uh, that was it seems like that was a big part of uh, the scene in Banff around art and and then like culture. Uh, I mean, I assume in early Banff, uh, settler Banff, <laughs> mm. that it was like there were people there for the railroads, mm-hmm. and there were people there for resource, but then there were all these artists. And um, I've heard talk about the relationships between them and Stoney and uh, other indigenous people mm-hmm. that seemed to be really important. Like they would uh, trade art and do like sittings for for portraiture and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I actually learned too. So the White Museum, mm-hmm. uh, weird name, <laughs> the White Museum. <laughs> but of course, if you live in Edmonton, you think of White Avenue with a W H Y T E, mm-hmm. and I was just assumed that the White Museum was named for the same guy that White Avenue was named for. Because it's spelled the same. Yeah. And I'm like, railroad guy, I don't know. But I was looking it up, and he's actually um, an artist. Hmm. (laughs) Uh, Mr. White. And um, the weird thing is, his parents' last name was W-H-I-T-E, but then his last name is W-H-Y-T-E. Huh. So I wonder if he changed his name or if his parents changed his name 
to be more like the White Avenue guy, <laughs> the knight. <laughs> Could know? there have been that much prestige? I don't know. Like maybe in turn of the century, Alberta, that was a thing. <laughs> but yeah, so completely unrelated white. Wild. Uh, cool. Today I learned. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's great. Yeah. So yeah, doing all that, working on research paper for my energy history class about Pemmican, trying to figure out what to write for research paper for my states in history class. And, um, yeah, yeah, I, now is when I could use your tips on, on endurance, uh, through pressure, like it just drip, 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 like it never stop, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you look a lot like my friends who've gone through grad school Mm. at this point in their (laughs) careers and, um, a lot like Marcel when she was going through her master's. Mm. She had a horrifying, like, breakdown <laughs> midway through. <laughs> uh, so you're ahead of the game uh, in that you're, you're keeping it together. Oh, okay, know? okay, okay. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Tips. I mean, like, when, uh, when my six-year-old has a breakdown, <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, pick her up, hold her pat her on the back <laughs> but then yeah we just you know get food in that belly food food is really important um one of the things about having a baby is like there's only two problems that a baby can have mm. you know mm-hmm. <laughs> they might have a wet diaper or they might be hungry mm. and so over like a year or so you just become conditioned to like identify any emotional problems being like, okay. Is this a hunger problem? <laughs> Are you uncomfortable or are you hungry? <laughs> <laughs> and it's amazing how much you can solve just by like addressing those needs. Hmm. And it made me think a lot about like myself and other adults. And like, you know, if you're having trouble at work and you know, this guy's like really grilling you and you're like, are you hungry? Maybe you should take a break, go for lunch. We'll get back after lunch. <laughs> And like the whole situation's changed. Yeah, grown-ups need to think about about hunger and hanger <laughs> a lot too. <laughs> uh, I'm not saying that you're hangry. Well, I, but I, I'm just saying you need to take care of your like. You need to keep eating well. Hmm. Um, are you just working like 24 hours a day <laughs> at this point? Uh, it's pretty hard to like set a limit on when to start and finish working because like technically I only have class like nine hours a week. Yeah. Um, but uh, like rather than it being like, oh, well just like work on your readings and papers from this hour to this hour a day and then like go home at the end of it. It's like, okay, well they're just deliverables due by such and such date. So it, it. Yeah. Because the deliverables are so, like, difficult to research right now. Um, and there's all this other paperwork and stuff. Yeah, it's pretty hard to set yeah. limits. I mean, I don't know. Like, one thing years ago when I was getting into office work, <clears throat> um, I did a bit of reading on, uh, like, the time of day when you work best. Mm. And it's kind of different for every person, obviously. But... Um, 
And you can kind of journal yourself to see if you are average or if you're if your cycle's a little different. But one of the things I remember was um, that in the morning, your brain is able to do more like intense, long-term thinking. And so, and I find this works for me. Like the mornings when I can do, I can sit down and like write or re- read and and really get into something. And then um, in the afternoon, uh, especially after you've eaten, then your brain is more in like shorter cycles. And so it's better to have like meetings or anything that's like half hour of work and then you go do something else. Mm. Um, So for me, it's good to like set the morning aside for, uh, for desk work and then the afternoons when I meet with people and like talk and keep my brain going <laughs> through the talking. Um, so I, yeah, I don't know how much you can do of that. <laughs> I, I don't know where your class schedule lies and, and, and how that would maybe not work with that cycle. But what is your, what did your reading say about those of us who's like primary time of like brain being ready to do readings is between 8 PM and midnight. Yeah, yeah. Well, I actually, I also work much better in the evening, too. Mm. Evening and early night. Mm. Um, I mean, it's just like you... The world doesn't want us to work when we're best <laughs> suited to be working. <laughs> the world wants us to work from 9 to 5. Yeah. And it's dumb. <laughs> because that's not how brains work. So if you can, like, flex things, then totally make use of that nighttime uh, it's also quieter you know like you might be able to do more focused work then yeah the electricity bills are lower right right so if i <laughs> if you're doing all that computational uh right uh algorithmic history yeah searching mm-hmm. uh, if i can turn the <laughs> brightness up to maximum on my pdfs uh-huh yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I don't know alright well thanks for listening anyway appreciate it (laughs) of course anytime and uh, listeners I hope if you're also trying to plow through you know some some things that just seem insurmountable on your plate uh, I don't know hope you know you're not not alone you know and uh, hope some of this is helpful for you hang in there Chris Thank you, Trevor. Two more months. Two more months. Potentially more if there's a strike. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Chris is in the corner sobbing, so I'm going to... I'm just going to take over. Uh, Let's Find Out is produced by Trevor Chow Fraser and Chris Chang and Phillips. Let us know what you think. Drop us a line at chris at letsfindoutpodcast.com. We read all your messages. Um, I might have to do more of that. (laughs) Even if we don't always get a chance to write back, don't worry. We've read them. You can download all of our episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. We're on Instagram and Facebook, too. Thanks to everyone who's been supporting this podcast, especially Finn. Original music for this podcast is by the 
inimitable human being, Doug Hoyer. Until next time, keep your questions coming. <laughs>